Majors. I'm Brian Costello. I'm Jim DeSanto. And I'm Gerald Ford. <laughs> and tonight we have a special guest. Not Gerald Ford. <laughs> Not Gerald Ford. Oh, Not Gerald Ford. He's dead. That would be interesting. Posthumous. I'm the season. I'm not a crook. Not he crook. is not. His predecessor was. Uh, we are joined tonight by our historical expert and presidential memorabilia collector, Christopher Monero. No. Hello. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Yes. Good thing I'm not a movie expert on top majors. <laughs> we don't have any of those here. No. <laughs> that's if not we were a, waiting for a movie expert, Yeah, that's not a requirement. <laughs> We gave up that goal a long time you just ago. Just pretend that's what being a you're comm major perfectly is perfectly qualified. Yes. I realized that you were misguided when you were like, "But I've never seen the movie." That's certainly not a qualification for <laughs> for being a guest. One would uh. one would argue that most weeks Katie hasn't seen the movie even when she's watched it. It's so true. The day I, prior, I actually I don't think I was distracted during the. I really yeah. Well, I'll wait. I'll wait to tell you how I felt about this movie and my multitasking ten- tendencies. All right. I love it. Uh, well, today we're celebrating the 2020 election. We're releasing this. We're recording this episode before, but we're going to release this episode on election day. Perhaps you are waiting in line to vote. If you did not vote early, listening to commentators as we talk about the 1976 political thriller, all the president's men. But first, as always, we ask the most pressing question of every episode. What are we drinking this episode? What does everybody have? I have, uh, what am I drinking? Oh, mm-hmm. larceny. Oh, larceny. Uh-huh. Mm. Very good. You know, again, whenever we deal with the crime, the crime, themed. The crime themes, mm. like, I larceny, go for I like larceny. It. This Love is the it. barrel proof. Highly recommended if you can find it somewhere. Similarly, I keep thinking, when is two robbers not going to be thematic? We haven't, we haven't hit it yet. I mean, a lot it's of still, crime recently. there's a, a lot, lot of crime, crime in our films recently. So two robbers is spot on. Uh, Chris, what do you have? So no crime theme. And by the <laughs> way, you, you should know that this is my favorite part of your, of your episodes. And it's because it's the only part you listen to. Uh, yeah, asshole. Correct. <laughs> <laughs> hey, everybody has that. a favorite, everybody has a favorite also, part. Also not a criteria you to be on the show. So you know. much that you don't keep <laughs> listening. <laughs> So, but I was, I felt a lot of pressure because I was thinking to go, you know, with some kind of a bourbon in honor of Jim and something really classy, like a president would drink, um, or like a Miller light, like Brian, mm-hmm. or, you know, uh, some, uh, maybe some coffee or wine. I thought Katie, you were so. going to say classy, like Katie, and I, I was going to be all in, <laughs> <laughs> but I, I'm going to, I'm going to pay homage to, uh, Montgomery County today. Ooh. So I am drinking fuzz Lightyear, Ooh. and fuzz Lightyear is a uh it is brewed with peach madagascar vanilla and lactose this is a sour hazy ipa and this comes from the well it's a, actually a collaboration between the well-crafted beer company in my hometown of lansdale which if you're looking for a good brewery in a great spot well-crafted is awesome on main street and lansdale but they're collaborating with 10-7 brewery in north wales mm. and 107 is uh one of the partners there is a plymouth township police officer that's so, amazing there we you know, go and, and i'm drinking it out of a glass in honor of montgomery county's favorite and my neighbor county commissioner ken lawrence oh that, that is it. an excellent item of swag we have branding everywhere that's fantastic i am drinking um founders centennial 
IPA, pulled out the big guns, the 19.2 can for mm-hmm. our discussion of Richard Nixon. Ounces um, or ABV? Uh well, it's a nineteen, not a nineteen ABV. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not aiming for Katie. That's like a the, cordial. I, I'm not aiming. I'm not aiming for Katie in the Best of Show episode here. This will be like when Jer drank three that's brawlers. Like the, the borderline crossing from wine to spirit. I that know. Is, I was being that silly. That is like. People drink something like that. They end up in all leather, standing in front of a motorcycle on their birthday type situation. Uh, like, yeah. That somebody was prior to that. any drink. I don't know anybody like that. No, that was after I don't know anybody. Um, uh, oh, wait. I, I would like to acknowledge something. So one of the reasons that we invited Chris Monero on this show was because we know he likes the presidents. He's involved in the political process. And I asked him if he could bring a few of his cardboard friends with him to the show. So if you are listening, I am sorry you're missing out on this visual, but we have a few special guests behind Chris. So, Chris, could you introduce the other friends that are with you? Sure, sure. So uh, we'll go from from close to far. We have uh, the next president of the United States uh, is, is next next to me here it's uh, uncle joe um we have is a little there's a little glare on him behind well, that's here. all right fdr uh sitting in a really nice actually he's sitting in a really fancy chair which kind of mirrors this real fancy yeah. chair. <laughs> okay yeah i know i love what you i love but the I, globe you got there it's I a, I never sit here by the way yeah, we gotta talk about that globe that's how that that's got some alcohol right that is the bar globe classic okay, home goods purchase very yes. good about a decade ago uh we have we have Nancy Reagan back there. Love um, you, don't, you don't see Nancy Reagan every day. No. Is she and, uh, your only first uh, spouse cut out? No. I actually have, um, not not here at the house, uh, at the office. In the storage <laughs> unit. <laughs> yes, in the storage <laughs> unit. Um, I do have Michelle Obama. Uh-huh. And, she um, wants to be let out. <laughs> There is, and, there is kind of a silence of the Lambs yeah. S5. Didn't I they have like, a lot of cart? I out? love this. But I do have a multi-purpose first lady as well because I have Hillary Clinton. So we can classify her in multiple categories. Very good. Mm -hmm. Uh, Presidential hopefuls, secretaries of state, senators, Mm -hmm. name it. Yep, you Um, can put her in all the categories. That's correct. And of course, last but not least in his tux back there, uh, we have the great, the great 44th president of the United States. Not a crook. Uh, Better times, better times. I like that. A tux look Um, there. I had visions of you taking these cardboard cutouts from your office and shoving them (laughs) into your car to bring them to your house. And and I loved that visual. So you don't need to tell me that that didn't happen. They don't transport well because the more you fold them, they they break. I can't imagine. I believe that. And And they're old. They're Yeah. Usually they're old, there. old well, white people. Gotten climate yeah. Oh, yeah. In the yeah, they don't table. bend yeah. well. No, they don't bend well. This Nancy is that hobby you were talking about, Katie. Like you needed to find one of those things. Yes. Like maybe you could collect. I could totally get behind this. People. Some memorabilia. Yeah, I was never a big sort. collector when I was a kid. I had like a porcelain doll phase, mm. which I recognize now as super creepy. And after Explains that, a lot. That was it. I, didn't, I never collected anything again. Sorry, I'm banging into the Th- microphone. This might come as a huge surprise to you, but also at the office is a cardboard cutout of myself. <laughs> yes, yes, actually I, not I a surprise at all. I've seen that before. <laughs> I, I heard it does most that. of your teaching on a weekly basis. <laughs> I mean, in virtual learning, good, you could literally just throw that right this up. This is one right? of the benefits of this situation. Yep. 
Yeah. All right. Remember Conan O'Brien used to have like the moving mouth? Yes. yes. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Terrence and Phillip style. Genius. All right. So I, I tried to fact check last week's episode. And I want to say about two minutes into it, I realized the issues that people have no. trying to fact check a Trump rally. <laughs> and I was like, I'm like, I just I can't be bothered with attempting to bring. I, I don't know what you're talking about. Bring any sense of normalcy to what was Ridiculous. going on. But I do want to make an announcement that Aaron Powers has agreed to write a theme song for our show with Jim. Now, Jim, I am so excited about this. Now, Jim never responded to it. <laughs> and I'm just going to th think that that is him like missing the text, obviously. Yeah, but Aaron, are you sure you had to write uh, Jim DeSanto? <laughs> yeah. in, in that but Aaron is texting your dad. <laughs> Aaron, who at times can have a spotty history of returning texts immediately got back to me mm -hmm. with the yes. So somewhere in 2021, we should have a calm. Oh my gosh. We've got to make it happen song. before then. The, Is I it going to be in the style it. of, it's uh, going to be like, welcome back. Bow, wow. No. Oh, welcome back. Cotter would be great. Could you just kind of do a little twist back. on welcome back? Cotter? Yeah, something like that. I yeah. love that. Yeah. Um, Less so, full house, so, more welcome back. Cotter. I was yeah, thinking more like Ted Lasso. Back. Ted Lasso's good. We could go a little Mumford. Maybe we could get Mr. Mumford to do yeah. it for us. Yeah. Okay. Marcus, and I'd like you could Lily play Monero, have you watched this, Ted Lasso? No. Oh, you're gonna love it. it Coach Monero. Yeah, Coach is, Monero, you gotta watch. It is the purest form of a coaching show I've ever it's seen. It's what your really? heart and it's your right, soul yeah. and it your is, brain, so all good. of the parts of you, they all need where Ted Lasso. I, where can I locate this? Apple TV. It's on yeah. Apple TV Plus. Yeah. Yeah, you've got to figure out owns. how to get that for folks that don't have Apple but TV. We, we, uh, what, can, what can we do? We could set that up. I think. We'll, we'll have um, a watch party. I'm going to work this out. Okay, um, Katie, you apparently have a fact. I check do have a fact that check. you want to share. All so, right, in re-listening to the episode, uh, it was brought my, to my attention because I didn't remember a lot of what was said. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that somebody made the claim that they didn't really remember Jane Lynch uh, from this movie, and I said that this was the movie for me that like put Jane Lynch on my radar. Mm -hmm. And basically the internet agrees. So she had bit roles. You mentioned the fugitive. She's literally mentioned as a bit part in fatal attraction, vice versa and the fugitive. And then nothing until she was in these frosted flakes commercials that Christopher guest directed. Oh. And so he cast her. This was her first major role. Yeah. And then after this, she did two more Christopher guest movies. She did a mighty okay, wind yep. and for your, for your consideration. consideration. Very good. Uh, and then from there, obviously glee and she's on another sitcom. She's been in Mrs. other movies, Mazel. Mrs. Basil. Mm. We love her in that. Uh, so this really was best in show. Really was her break. Yep. So okay. Good job, that Christopher like, Guest. That is Nailed an amazing it. fact check. Hey, thank you, Brian. I did legit research. I know. I'm <laughs> amazed. I love it. Uh, all right, it's time for the rundown. This is Tricky Dicky with your rundown. Is that what they called him? I would have thought you would have. I would have thought you would have done like Woodward or Bernstein. Well, or, I thought that you was know, too easy. I mean, or not, and not funny. Anyway, so, here we go. Tr tricky Dicky. Tricky Dicky. That's what came to mind. <laughs> yes. 
<laughs> next, they next had time, great go names for politicians back in the day. We've lost oh, that. Boy. There was a break-in at the Democratic headquarters, and something smells rotten in the city of D.C. Two young Washington Post reporters, Woodward and Bernstein, or called Woodstein, look for their big break tirelessly working the story. With the help of an endless supply of coffee, cigarettes, charm, and typewriter ribbon, they discover that this story might not just be their first front page news. It might cement their names in U.S. history. There you go. Very good. That's the All rundown. Right, 1976. I need, a, I need a red the... pen like Bob Bradley. <laughs> yes. Just to cross things out. I kind of envision you doing that on a daily basis. No. Yeah. Nope. I don't let him see the rundown before I read it. So um, it's not allowed. So it's 1976 mm-hmm. on the heels of not only the Watergate case, but mm-hmm. the publishing of the book, All the President's Men. Mm-hmm. Um, Robert Redford produces, gets Alan J. Uh, Pakula, who was a master of conspiracy-esque 1970s films to sign on to bring us this adaptation that either most of our listeners have not seen or were forced to watch by their history teacher, um, but is a truly great film, which I think for yourself, Brian, I mean, what does everybody else think? It's a great film. Uh, I am doing the intro. Oh, well, you can't just say it's a great film as like a fact. Why can I not? It's a fact to me. That's that's your opinion, dude. Well, check the uh, IMDb ratings and Metascore ratings. Well, then why don't you speak to those, Brian? Because I don't need to be tied to some arbitrary number. (laughs) Um, Nonetheless, um, to produce a movie that should probably be wildly boring because it's just about investigating a story by two newspaper men mm-hmm. but have created something that still resonates in modern society what is everybody else's thoughts uh, katie will go last for talking out of turn uh, no i was going to hand. say that i think we should let <laughs> mr monero go first yeah. because this was his first watching of the film. yes yeah. so, i mean there's so much to say like first of all i mean katie in your rundown there are so many cigarettes. Like I almost, <laughs> yes, yes, that's so true. In every single scene, a, every single I was scene. Buy a box of Benson and Hedges just for tonight's yeah. episode. It reminded yeah. me of, uh, but Robert Redford doesn't smoke. He right? does not. No, so it's only Bernstein. Bob... Bernstein smokes enough for both yes. of them. Yeah, it reminded me of. Uh, was it almost famous when they're on the plane and there's just like so Everywhere. much smoke? <laughs> yeah. Oh my god, the elevator was the worst. Oh, that made me gag a... just thinking about that. <laughs> well, there, I mean, there's even a scene in the movie where uh, uh, Woodward turns on and says, do you smoke everywhere? You know, yeah. do you smoke in the elevator? Um, you know, with, with the first thing that struck me when I, when I, you know, realized that this film was made in 1976 was like, that was only three years, mm-hmm. you know, two, three years after. So like, that means we're getting a Trump movie pretty soon. And that's, <laughs> that's kind of exciting. Like, you know, it, it, it could be. Um, <laughs> Maybe when he goes but, to prison. <laughs> yes, yes, I can't wait. Um, but, you know, I, I think whereas, uh, you know, Brian mentions like high school teachers will show this or it's something that you maybe had to watch. When you sit back and watch it now, um, it's just so it's so simple. It's a very simple movie. I mean, there's not a whole lot of complexity to it, but it's so real. 
Yeah. He's going. What is going on over there? The dog is. Well, it's, uh, water, Watergate burglars are trying to um, break the, into the. Katie the gave the dog a, uh, an empty milk jug to play with, and apparently that's pretty loud. Oh, the well, table on the door. Yeah. Uh, Jim, you had seen this before, correct? I had, yeah, a few times. Uh, I forget when the first time I saw it. I know we rewatched it in college during Roger Wallace's class. Yes. Which I took twice, I think. I, I do believe somehow <laughs> the University of Scranton allowed you to take the same well, course had, twice. Right? No, no, no. What, what, what they oh, allowed? Never changed the syllabus, yes. right? Because we did. What they allowed him to do was teach the same course twice under two different names, <laughs> which is absurd. But it basically was like this class was the best. It, it met twice a week, which really only meant it once. Once it met on Thursday afternoons um, for like an hour and a half. And then Tuesday afternoons, they would show a movie, and th- you know Thursday would be the discussion. You didn't have to go to the movie; you could watch the movie on your own some other Very time true. if you wanted to. Yep. Um, and we so, used to use it as date night. Yeah, it was we fun. would we would instead of paying this, to go to the movies, so, we would just go to the lecture hall. Yeah, I don't remember <laughs> if this was in the two hundred level course or the three hundred level course, but. Um, I think this I one was in the one before I came, so it had to have been the 200 level. Yeah, probably. Well, that's yeah. when you used to come with both. You came down and watched with both the of three, us. That was, was the 300 yeah. level course. Yeah, yeah. yeah, we, yeah. we would go there. Um, so actually, what's interesting, um, Roger Wallace loved William Goldman written films because the, the writer of this movie also wrote Marathon Man, mm-hmm. uh, which we saw on that course. Uh, he wrote Princess Bride. Yep. Yeah. So, I mean, the, the crew that put well this done. one, I think this is an example of the behind-the-scenes crew needing to be pretty damn good. Yeah. So Pakula yeah. was was into this conspiracy edge really good. He also did The Parallax View, which is a really underseen Warren Beatty movie, which, if you've never seen it, is amazing. And he also did Clute with Jane Fonda that won her the Oscar. So this was the third of these movies where he had been building up this idea of what 70s society was about and what had led to 70s society. And all of them were with his uh, cinematographer, Gordon Willis, who is might be the best cinematographer of all time, who did Godfather mm-hmm. um, and all these other ones. And then they get William Goldman, who is brilliant in his own right. Because again, I think this is... Unless you're a history person, and this this must have been an odd sell. Obviously, people in 76 were probably excited to see it because they had just lived through that. So there was an, an interest to it. Mm-hmm. But for it to be so long from that and still be interesting is a pretty tough challenge. You know, usually when people do things immediately, I think of them as almost TV movies. Like when they made those four trash Amy Fisher TV movies with like Drew Barrymore, (laughs) you know, and Alyssa Milano. And it's like usually ripped from the headline stuff is TV. So this is basically a ripped from the headlines movie that still works all this time later. Well, it's so, you know, it's based on the novel, which is helpful when somebody writes something really well for, for that to be the basis of the film. Yeah. Um, and, but I, I can see how not having read the novel that has to be so meticulous and detailed in regards to, you know, the, the exact facts of, of this entire story, which I'm sure is even more than what we see in the movie. Right. So then to be able to pick through what's in the book and create a story that, is still cohesive that still connects all of the dots well and doesn't bore your viewers to sleep 
I mean, this this is a very it's really a very subtle and tedious story when you think about it. Like so much of it is just paper trail and conversations that aren't really conversations and a lot of things that wouldn't really translate well to the screen. And so I think the fact that this movie is suspenseful and um, it's really beautifully told is such a testament to the filmmakers. Yeah. And there's a lot of things going on that I think are real interesting specifically is that you have these two characters who are real are you know, based on real people there's sort of a theme throughout this movie of how they they complement each other, but mm-hmm. also there's conflict between them um, in a couple parts that is really interesting. Um, and they make it work, you know, they make it work for their benefit on basically what each of them is good at. And, um, you know, they play devil's advocate for each other and they... their product their end product is better because of it so this is an area where we've seen movies go wrong in the past and we've commented on the difficulty of nailing a character who is a living breathing person especially when there's not that much time and space between you know the actual events and then the you know the it's not fictionalized but the the creation of the movie um And so, you know, I was thinking that through this, they are such interesting characters and, um, you know, they've each got their little like quirks. Uh, and, and frankly, it doesn't even matter if they're real people, like, Mm -hmm. you know, like they're such good characters that yes, it enhances that this is all real, but the fact that they are created so well for the screen is really what matters. Yeah. But there's no, um, there's no exposition to characterize these, these people either. Mm-hmm. You're just dropped right you're into just them. With them. You're right yeah. in the newsroom with them. Yeah. There's more. There's more background inf- information giving given about the people they're investigating than mm-hmm. than them themselves. You get very little about them, yeah, and you, much of it you, you basically just... get how long they've each been at the paper. Yep. And you get that Bernstein has uh, it seems to have more experience, but that's pretty much it. Yep. And then everything else you learn by watching them. Yeah. Yeah. Well you know, if that movie was made today, you would get sort of the subtitles on the bottom. Like they would tell you the name of the Names. person. They yeah. would say, you know, this location, this date. Like the X-Files. Just, yeah. Like this is <laughs> yes. what they, it's what they do now, you know? Yeah. And I feel like watching, watching this movie, you almost kind of had to really stay focused to, to try to stay, stay sharp with yeah. what, who they were talking mm-hmm. about, where they were, when it was happening. And I mean, I think that helps to just make it, more real and uh and more raw yeah you, you live in this movie do i this like feels like a lived in movie yeah you're and, tired and, with them yeah yeah i mean mm-hmm. but they but there's something I, I and i can't figure out if it's i think it's brilliant sound design which is not something we usually talk about usually we talk about soundtracks or the use of music to me this was sound design yeah the fact like when you're in the newsroom it's it, you feel like it's surround sound you know, they're they're not using any score. They're allowing what a newsroom would sound like that draws you in. And Chris is right. Like, there's not they're not telling you who are there's. And maybe that's because these people were borderline celebrities. All the people of Watergate at that time, people would have known this story. But 
I found that even intriguing. And, and I did wonder since, you know, when you teach it, you kind of end up knowing all these people and these things. So sometimes I wonder if that's okay if you don't teach it. So for me, I know a lot of it. So I'm able to jump through that. But for, for me, this film introduced a lot of different characters in different time periods, much better than let's say just mercy did. Right. Which when we did. And that's I think Katie was hitting on that, too. It's, it's so, somewhat similar, which is it's very close to the real subject matter. But I just feel like they're able to do a much better job of staying true to what the story is. But maybe that's because they had an end game. Right. You know, with Just Mercy, it was we're, 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 we're talking about this person and kind of this one case, but more the characters where the characters in this are interesting, but they're a servant to the story of Watergate and, mm-hmm. and what this was all about. But I, there, I, again, not having read the book, it's hard to you know make a judgment on this. But again, there still had to be so many choices made in regards to what actually made it onto the screen. Mm. And so that that takes such a strong, you know, sense of storytelling. Right. Um, right. I, you know, like this is a masterpiece. It's, it's really well done. Yeah. Cause they, they pick a few themes that they want to run with throughout the entire movie, which to me stood out as, you know, sort of what happened at its base is like, your like, we want to, we want to show sort of what happened and like how the dominoes fell. Underneath that, we want to show who these two guys were and why they were the right people for this job. And then on top of that, they want to show sort of like the, to me, they wanted to show sort of this, like this, like um, almost like sinister side of DC and how there is, you know, they, they have that whole piece where Robert Redford is leaving his meeting with deep throat and he clearly thinks he's being followed. Mm. Um, And just how, sort of there's like this paranoia of the seventies that, you know, leads right into the, you know, ramping up even bigger in the eighties, nineties, you know, and we are, we have not backed down that, that mountain at all. We are just shooting straight, keep going higher and higher. Oh, Um, please. There are no, everything is above the board (laughs) today. But then it's also issues. It's also an homage to journalism in in general. Like it, it is highlighting the art, of journalism, yeah. you know, and what goes into just telling a story and then telling it well, and then, you know, being an investigative reporter and like discovering like there, I mean, it's, it's well, beautiful. I, I think it's, I think it's interesting to watch it again today because the news is so different. Right. And oh you, my God, you yes. like you learn not only about Watergate, but you learn about, how news reporting was because you hadn't, they had more time to get the story, right. They didn't have to get it out and get it on Twitter and get the information out so quickly. And they could really dig. And you also realize how much harder it was because you see all the phone calls they're making and the, Mm -hmm. the door to the door to door, which apparently was very real. And that's what you have to like find out who this person is and where they live. You just have to start looking through cities, phone books. Like that's absurd. Well, I, you know, I found it, I, I, it's odd in the sense, I think if you show it to kids today as a lesson in some respect, perhaps that type of effort for journalism might be the most shocking thing to them. And it might be one of the most damning things. And when we look at some, some of the modern, like political controversies, part of the reason they were eventually able to get it 
him for what took place was the the need to make sure they were so right along the way, as opposed to being the first media outlet to tweet something out and then it gets it wrong. And I think the erosion of what some, but I think there's an erosion of how people view news because now the, the goal is necessarily to be first. And, you know, that leads potentially to problems at times to be first, you know, whereas then you had to work these stories and there is this background of them and the times going at it, which if you've ever seen the post um, from Steven Spielberg, which I don't think is nearly as good as a few good as, as uh, all the president's men, but it gets more into that as well. But I think I'm not sure Wood Woodward and Bernstein would have been afforded the time today to be able to, do this type of case the way they did. I think they would have, the expectation would have been more juicy headlines, more tweet worthy items immediately. And I don't know as this showed, as it went through, there was a lot of shit on top of this that they had to get through to be able to get to the real issue. It it really, you know, I mean, Bob Woodward just as a, as a person is so relevant today. Like, maybe just as relevant. And when you're watching this and how he uncovered this and look, if it wasn't for them, we might not know anything. Right. But, but then today, you know, he has these interviews with, with Trump. And now today the stuff comes out about Kushner and, and the things that he said, and yet he's kind of sat on this stuff for, for months and months. And it's only come out really in, in stories on, on cable news. And, you know, is, is there a smoking gun there? It, could he have come out and, and said this stuff earlier, or does nothing matter today? Cause does nothing matter. You say about this president, like nothing yeah. you say about this president really matters. But back then we just held, you know, Nixon was the first one. We held our presidents to such a high standard, you know, would the Watergate break in mm-hmm. today, take down a presidency. The no, I don't think down? so. No. And I it, think it, we've it, seen worse than it since, right. since then. And the, the, it's interesting because the institution in and of itself sort of, you know, it, it basically consumed itself, right? Like the institution of journalism is, yes. the, is, are, are, it is responsible for where journalism is at. Oh, oh I, I, I completely agree. It 100% is. I completely agree with that statement. Yep. And, and, and it is because of the, of the, of the money-making side of this that, they they started to relax what how they report they started to you know pick and choose what they went after rather than what was you know more impactful well to to me if you look at like bob woodward and he's a great example of this right nowadays after maybe a couple of those watergate stories the first big one that would have hit right he would have been offered a cable network show mm-hmm. from one of the cable network shows. And it would have been about Bob Wordward at that point. And that's where, when it's about the name as opposed to the story is where I think at times people, it doesn't turn into news anymore, which is why I think Chris is right. He's still one of these people that you want to read whatever book he's writing, that you want to read his takes on it because it's never necessarily been about, Bob Woodward, you know, you could, he wrote about, you know, and he's also a reason like people like Trump will sit down with him, right. You know, 
Bush sat down with him. If you, you know, he had a couple books during the Iraq war that came out that were really interesting books that you might think, well, would one of these guys sit down with Bob Woodward? And part of the reason is, is he's always been more about what is happening I, as opposed to now we need to have the CNN show with Bob Woodward or the MSNBC show with Bob Woodward. And I don't know if the celebrity of media today would allow for somebody new to do that. They might jump for something like that. I, I think that you're, you're putting all the responsibility though on, on the journalists and, and not so much on the consumer um, because I think what we've seen with a lot of professions over the past few decades is a shift in but why, but we perspective and respect. But so, we, we do that with every we do that with every other institution. What do you mean? Medicine, we put the we put the blame on pharmaceutical companies. We don't put the blame on the consumer. I, we put the blame. I'm just saying. Well, like, so are you saying that that's the right thing to do? I'm saying it's it's. I, I think. I think. Th- their willingness to sort of um, kind of compromise what they do is what has led them to this path. I don't. Okay. First of all, I don't think you can compare this to pharmaceutical companies. Secondly, it's a completely different relationship when you talk about, because, okay, pharmaceutical companies, there is a, a power hierarchy. One of the things that's changed journalism is that people don't see a difference between reading something that was written by the New York Times and reading something that their friend next door posted on Facebook and ha- and the viral video that goes along with it. Well, like, yeah, but those that's things because are held that's in the because, same regard now. But that's because the quality is not... The uh, quality doesn't exist. I don't think you can make that blanket statement. I think... Uh, you, that, well, let's say this, that the New York Times and the, and the Washington Post are the two, like, you know, shiny beacons of keeping journalism where you know at least sort of in the in the right lane where it should be but like that that's not enough i'm not specifically saying those two newspapers i'm saying the institution as a whole yeah but they don't all work together like that's not that's just not fair to like just say that about all of journalism there are some news outlets that have taken the easy way out in terms of you're right making the fast buck yeah. Putting out the story that's sensational. Absolutely. And yeah. then there are still news outlets that are doing it right and doing their due dilig- mm-hmm. diligence and checking their facts and are institutions of you know, yeah. honor and, and integrity. Yeah. Um, and I just don't think that it's fair for us to like lump that all together. I, I didn't. Uh, I'm saying they're part of the same. They are part of the group that delivers news. That's what I'm talking about. I, I mean, so I, I don't understand what your problem is with what I said. Because well, you I just repeated exactly what I said and said it's fine. My problem is with saying, like, journalism isn't what it used to be. Yes, in some cases, certainly. But you still have some excellent reporting, some excellent journalists who right. who would but, tell a story the same way. Right, but the, 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 the public has been conditioned to not care. Yes, that's what's changed. But that's right. But that's because of journalism, not because of the people. It's because of of the amount of it that is out there. It's the amount that, yeah, 
I, it's just maybe it's too fast and there's too much of it. I mean, there wasn't a lot of choices back then. I mean, that's kind right. of clear. Right. And they they right. constantly kind of show that when the guy's driving to the White House every day to deliver the paper yeah. and they intercut that scene. It's like you got The New York Times, The Washington Post. Right. They probably had. I don't even know what else they might have had the Chicago Tribune or whatever. You know, it's like three or four papers are yeah. driving everyone's yes. understanding. Chris, when you teach it, because I teach it, and you know, of this time period as well. Why do you think the story of Watergate still resonates with people? Because I, I think part of why it still resonates is why the movie resonates, because they're able to capture what was the meaning of that. But why do you think we're still so enamored with this long after Nixon is dead? And I mean, to be honest, as Jim said, this probably wouldn't even be anything that's investigated based upon the crazy stuff that's happened over the past two decades in politics. Well, so, so full disclosure, since I'm not teaching history anymore and just and just U.S. government, um, it comes up in my, you know, in, in my teaching a little bit differently. But I think, you know, going back to what I said earlier about how it really is the 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 watermark between where we didn't really care about what presidents did behind the scenes and, and where we do. And. I think that's a big reason, but you know, like in a real simple, like elementary level, Richard Nixon's the only president to resign. Mm. So yeah. like that, that much right there, I think signifies how Nixon and this whole incident is still so, you know, um, right. it's, it's so relevant and it's so exciting to people because it, it brought them down. Now, like, I, I think a lot of kids today in high school or whatever, that are learning about this for the first time. They don't, learn about the journalism side of it. Yeah. They don't learn about the Woodward and Bernstein side of it and understanding why that was so important. But at the same time, we hear so much now about the importance of the press. And when, you know, clown show up there, you know, starts talking about fake news and this and that enemy of the people, we can always point back to saying, if we didn't have the press in 1973, 1974, like we never would have found out about the biggest presidential scandal the 20th century. Yes. So, yes. Yes. But those, but those <laughs> themes are important. Yes. They're important to us. To right. Us. Right. To us. And that's the biggest difference now is that no one cares about this unless it can help their guy or that's their correct. woman. Yes. That's correct. And so like, that's the biggest problem facing like people, you know, people being vested, invested in the Washington post. And, you know, at some point, you just have to say some of these people have, you know, are are morally right, and some of them are morally wrong. And the fact that the the journalism is is trying to shine a light on morally wrong things a lot of times, I you know, to call it fake news and to move try to move the needle and say like they're just out to get us, and they were doing it in this movie that it's present in this film. Uh -huh. that the the administration is coming out and saying the Washington oh, Post is fake news. Um, it just, that, you know, again, that, that idea that you can weaponize the news because of the power that they've, they, you know, that they demonstrate in this movie. But right? I also think it's interesting because you see, I guess going to modern journalism again, like they do have time, right? We're seeing deadlines and they're and they're posting things. And the way we processed news was very different. 
you know, we would get the paper. I still remember even like all four years in college because I was a, you know, I had a well, borderline history major, but I always got the New York times because we got a deal and you would get it and you would read it. And it was really pre internet by and large. I mean, the internet existed, but it wasn't like we have it today. And, and you would read it and be able to process it and think about it. And then there'd be other stories. Maybe the follow-up story would be two days later. Whereas now people consume news instantaneously, or if, you know, nobody watches the nightly news, but you got, you're going to have that echo chamber of I'm a Fox news person or an MSNBC yeah. news person. And am I going to watch Rachel Maddow? Who's going to have some huge expose. This is the biggest story of the year. Or is it going to be Tucker Carlson? Or am I going to go really down the wormhole and I'm a crazy tinfoil hat person and go watch nut job info wars, uh, you know, that's going to validate my crazy side. <laughs> Whereas before there was for better or worse, there was an editorial process that we saw here that constantly challenged people to be better. Like people were constantly challenging Woodward and Bernstein. It's not quite good enough. You can be better than that. And I feel like the filter is lost in some respect. And we're expecting people who, who don't have either the ability, the desire, or it doesn't fit their agenda to filter that. And it gets right. out. And that's like, that's interesting me to watch this because, you know, Nixon is what Nixon was and what he was doing and how corrupt he was. And I think the film hits on this a, a little bit. But what I've always found interesting about Nixon is Watergate was almost the least of the bad things he was doing because it was almost irrelevant. He was going to win that election. That election was a, a, a shit show. He wasn't going to lose that election. Well, that was the and that's what that he did was. I know. And that it was he had created a systematic way of dealing with people that completely violated everything that we should hold as important in the country. And and they kind of alluded to that, I thought, in a really brilliant way with all these people who had worked for him. And they were saying, you know, I thought I loved the RNC. I was working for him and I was doing all these things. And then I realized what was actually going on and what that meant. And maybe one of the differences is that people actually cared back then, whereas people today are willing to just say, I'm going to continue to facilitate and allow this type of things to occur to validate my point of view. Well, and I think there's also then that assumption that everybody else is doing that too. And I think that's one of the problems with journalism that I struggle with is there is still a code for journalists. Mm -hmm. And yes, there are news outlets that don't follow it. But if you go to your major news outlets, if you are a reporter and you make up facts, you are going to get fired. Like... That's just against yeah. the like, and you see it happen. Yeah, all but the there's time, there's right? too much editorial now on television and on the internet that is that is consumed as news. Yes, and so but like they have to fill the air. They have to fill yes. the air. Right, yes. right, absolutely. And so, yeah, the, but yeah. that's what folks don't get, right? Yeah. It's like there's Agreed. no differentiation. Like watching the debate, I said to Jim, you know, I I, I had this realization that like folks. Er, there were things said in the debate that my reaction was, oh, I didn't know. I've never heard that. I, you know, I don't, I don't know whether that's true or not. And so then I'm going to go do my due diligence and like look stuff up and, and see like, so what, like, what are they referencing? What's, what are the details behind this? 
And then there's folks that are going to listen to either of the candidates say a thing and they're going to say, yeah, so that must yeah. be true. And that's well, that's yeah. what I think one of the biggest changes <laughs> has it. been is not to um, the big one of the big changes in our culture over the course of the 50 years since this all sort of went down is that back then, I think the currency of like your moral character was that at the bottom line, at the end of the day, you would figure out what was right and try to do that. Right. Do the right thing. Um, a great movie. Um, but do the right thing. I think more our currency and, and I don't know what warped this and how it became. It's our, it's probably our parents fault. Our parents' generation. You love blaming um, them. Just it's always it. it's always their it's fault. Just, just them blame all the baby. The blame. blame the baby. The, the baby boomers. boomers it's it's all their fault. For everything. They're, the the idea that the currency didn't become like do what's right and figure out what's right and do it. It became I'm always right and I always do the right thing. And so to be proven wrong and accept new evidence and new data and change your mind was seen as a weakness rather than a strength. Mm. And I think we're we're slowly, hopefully, turning well, I don't know about that, that well, a little bit. <laughs> I don't know. Listen, we have got we have we have solved the problems of modern society, but we have failed to address a few very important things about this movie. Robert Number Redford one, is hot. He's so hot. <laughs> oh, I, Robert I Redford and Dustin Hoffman. I have yeah. never found Dustin Hoffman what? sexy. He is dead sexy in this movie. Well, this he's is got really, that he has the Leaf Garrett hair. Yeah, he's he did. That was very Leaf Garrett. Very oh, David Cassidy just, almost. He just had a swagger to him. And that part of journalism, right? Banjo. Like, that I'm just going to awesome. sweet talk you. I'm just going to pretend that you invited me into the house and smile <laughs> at you in this kind of a way that you're going to offer me a cup of coffee. And that's Cold what's going to happen. I think and it's four hours later. I, I, I have don't a story. Know, for me, it's easy to forget how amazing Dustin Hoffman is. Yes. I don't know why. No, yeah. I always, I know in my head that he is inc an incredible actor, but there's part of me that sort of like forgets how good, right? Like, and, and I think my problem is that like growing up, I was always told like De Niro and this and that. And I think De Niro might mm, hot take. I think he might be one of the most overrated actors that we grew up thinking should uh -oh. be idolized. Um, You've said this. Before. I do. I do. Yeah. I said it before. Yep. Someone like Dustin Hoffman literally makes you forget that they are an actor, mm -hmm. right? You look at that and you're. I don't think Dustin Hoffman. Yeah. And well, who is know, the um, the is he that the head editor? What do you call the guy in charge? Ben uh, uh, Bradley. He, Bradley. He looks like um, Francis McDermott in male form. Yeah, he does. Yes. Oh, Jason Robards. Yeah. Jason Robards is such a legend. I mean, oh my god, he's so good, so good. And I also just have Warren to point well. out, friends, because you know I pay attention to these things. 1976. Surprise, surprise. There were women and people of color in the film industry that you could employ in a film <laughs> that was mostly about white men but still showed that there are other humans in the world. Hey, uh, a couple of great cameos in this film. A, the Watergate guard at the very beginning yeah. was the real Watergate guard that caught them. Wow. That's, that not, caught a, on that's to. not a cameo, Brian. That's, that's, that's a, a cameo. That, that, that no, is a cameo. I, he yeah. opens the, he checks. That's the, amazing. The, that's a cameo. Yeah. And then uh, the female reporter that uh, Dustin Hoffman and Robert Redford convinced to get the list of the creep um, 
from her ex-boyfriend or fiance or whatever that. Yeah. Of course, one of the stars of the amazing Paul Newman film, Slapshot. Uh-huh. Um, she was his, uh, was she his, she was his wife? The, uh, or Michael, ex? no, no. She was the younger wife uh, of okay. uh, the sheriff I, from I, Twin Peaks. I just fact-checked in real time. <laughs> Cameo. A small character part in a player movie played by a distinguished actor or a celebrity. I was going to say, is Richard well, Nixon's clip considered a cameo? No. <laughs> well, well, I, I, have, have, well, I have a cameo. I have a cameo. Yeah. All right. Yes. And I know Brian will appreciate this the most because it's a, it's a connection. Yeah. It's an Alex P. Keaton Nixon worshiping connection. Where, yeah. Yeah. And that, what is it? I guess he's the treasurer or something of the uh, uh, yeah the Young Republicans Club. Sloan, his 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 wife, right, is Meredith Baxter. Meredith yes, Baxter. Oh, Meredith I was is. trying to figure That's out why Sloan's she looks wife. so familiar. That well done, well, sir. Very and early. The well creepy done. Stephen Collins, the creepy dad from Seventh Heaven, who turned into oh, uh, yes! a sex a yes! sex criminal. I didn't is know that in the film no. as well. Oh, oh yeah, he yeah. is. That's That's why he stopped being on Always Sunny in Philadelphia. As Dean uh, Dennis was he, uh, was he Sloan? Yes, he was Sloan. Yeah, yeah. yeah. he was um, Sloan. Meredith was his wife, right? Yes, Meredith. Yeah. Pre- yes, very good. I also loved the way they landed this plane. Mm-hmm. the The last bit of this movie oh. being told in typewriter. I, I, I loved it. Yeah, I loved it so because good. there's so much more to the story than what they can fit in this movie, and so to just give us really the the headlines. The only oh thing gosh. I'll say about that is that. And I like this feeling, but I feel like some people might not like it. Is that the climax of the movie passes you by without you even knowing it? Hmm. I agree with that. I didn't like the end oh, for that right. reason. Yeah, because oh. like you, you get the typewriter scene, and then it goes to, cuts the black, and you're like, oh, oh, so the con- that conversation he had was the big. Yeah. Well, gotcha. it's interesting. That was a 70s film thing because I don't want to ruin the French. Is everybody seen the French connection it's here? It's been a while, but okay. But I, the set, 70s films had that vibe to them, some of them, where the ending was less yeah. than what the product was. And I think that fits. I will say this they did something with the ending that I loved throughout the entire film, which was the use of the split diapeter, where it's like two th- different images are in focus at the same time. Yeah. And what I thought was brilliant about how they did this, and this is more in the middle of the film, but it kind of carried throughout, is if you notice, there's a point where the case is, the investigation's going kind of okay. But uh, Eagleton, who was the original VP candidate for the Democrats, is resigning. So you see Robert Redford mm-hmm. working, yep. but in the background, yeah. you're also being drawn to this. Mm-hmm. And I love how they were constantly highlighting, like, everybody's missing the big picture but these guys, mm-hmm. everybody else is focused on these other things. They did it with the inauguration. And that's how they end, yep. you know, before they do the typewriter thing, the, the end shot that I love is Nixon being sworn in. And you see to me, the ending shot. And I actually forgot the teletype at the end. Cause in my mind, it's always seeing Nixon. And then you see them still working to get the story, regardless of the fact that he won. Yeah, that they were still going to continue down that path to see where the story played out. Uh, Two more things that I loved. Um, I loved that that Ben Bradley at the beginning seems like he's going to be the antagonist character, right? Where you've got two young reporters, their copy editor has put them on this story 
But the you know the big guy is like, no, these guys they don't have enough chops to do this. Like we need somebody on national news to take this story. Um, and so you see him first as like their uh, their obstacle that they have to get past. And then he becomes like their you know their biggest defender, their their cheerleader, their supporter, their mentor. Um, and so I love seeing that shift, that relationship change. And then secondly, when you follow with them, you also encounter, you know, like their self-doubt and, you know, like the, yeah. they're not always sure they're, they are not always certain. They've got a gut feeling on it a lot of the time. Um, but you know, they've got a whole lot of people that won't commit to anything. And so a lot of the times they are driving the ship on just pure feeling and hoping that they are driving in the right direction. And that moment where Redford basically says like, did they just play us? Like, was, was this, was this all, if everything else was orchestrated, mm -hmm. right? If everything else is part of the conspiracy, then so could the whole trail that we've been following. And like, you feel that in the pit of your stomach, like, you know, to, to think that this was going to be like a career changing story and then feel that uneasy, like, or we could have just been duped. Yeah. Like, whew. I yeah, the the um, yeah, that's really cool. I did like that part a lot. Okay, one well, last I, moment I, before we move on. Yes, uh, our our commenter in Hopog, New York, hype, Laura Merrick has been to the Watergate Hotel. Mm, has sent us photos of her uh, having cocktails on the rooftop deck, and her son is also a presidential uh, fan. He, he loves he, he loves the presidents. He knows all of the presidents. A Richard Nixon. <laughs> I'll have to ask. So we do have there. a video of Darwin, uh, who is our youngest commenter fan besides yes. Jim and my daughters, but they don't get to really actually listen to the show. Uh, so Darwin listens to the show, and he filmed something for us to play tonight. Oh, are we so gonna? We have a little. Should I do little, it now? Yeah, we have a little yeah, fan video. This is in reference to last week's movie. Peanut, walnut, pine nut, all natural, natural, white nut, danium nut, pecan nut, my mommy's nut. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Darwin. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> That's amazing. Fan and created this art. This is a clip show. <laughs> yeah, we, we got this is a clip show. We got Tosh a lot of here. lot of clips here. Uh, all right, uh, quickly though, I think one la last word goes to Chris because it was the first thing he saw of this. Would you recommend this film to others? And what was to you the big takeaway from it? So I would recommend it. Um, I'd recommend it with caution in that you have to understand it's from a different time. Uh, if you're a millennial and you're like, what are they doing? Why don't they just sit on the internet? Like, you know, what is that thing that he's died? Like, why does it take him so long to call somebody? The poor guy's in such a hurry to get to get information. It takes him so long to, to make phone calls. There's nines, so, man. Those nines yeah. are rough. So with caution, you know, knowing that you're watching just something from a different time period. But, you know, again, my biggest takeaway, and I think it's been touched on here a little bit, is just the – the, the, the rawness and the, that newsroom atmosphere. Um, and look, I don't, I don't know. I mean, maybe newsrooms today are still very similar to that in terms of the hustle and the bustle and like, you know, everyone's rushing around and there's breaking news coming in left and right. But man, Brian, you nailed it at the beginning when you talked about the, like the, not the soundtrack, but the, the sound, 
you know, the background noise constantly happening in the newsroom when he's in the parking garage talking to Deep Throat. We haven't even mentioned Deep Throat. Yeah. Um, but the sound of like the shoes on the on the ground at night, you know, the click clack of the shoes and like there's just so many elements that just draw you into what's happening. So, you know, I, I would say that the biggest takeaway is just to to really get a sense of what that that era of journalism was like um, the and look, the, the historical accuracy, I mean, from everything I've seen, like it's, it's pretty spot on. There's yeah. some inconsistencies, but some of those are also from Woodward stories. Like yes, this mystery of the flower pot on the balcony and he would put the flag in there. Like, did it really happen? Um, has, has Woodward and, and Mark Phelps been making things up over the years about how they really communicated. And um, you know, there's, there's a lot of uh, a little nuances that you could really dig into, but, but overall, I mean, to understand what the, what journalism was like at the time, to to get a sense of the importance of what these two did and, and why it's so important even to journalism today. I mean, I think those are the big takeaways. And, uh, and before we go, oh, well, go ahead, Jim. You go. I first. was just going to say, as a film, the one thing I didn't say is that there's an edge of your seatness to this movie. That makes that, no sense. That almost. makes no sense. <laughs> it feels like you're, yeah. you're strapped to the front yeah. of a train the entire movie. Um, and that is remarkable considering what it's about, the characters we're dealing with and the fact that we sort of know the story already. Yeah. <laughs> we don't give recommendations anymore, but if you have, uh, sleeping problems and you're looking to sleep or you're a history lover, might I recommend this fantastic book, the lost souls of the American presidency, uh, the decline into demagoguery and the prospects of renewal. Uh, which I I'm going to Stephen F. Not read that fucking book. <laughs> ah, well done. Uh, I can't wow. believe you just went for the pun. I, the I lowest form of humor, yeah. as described by you. But it is a fantastic book that ties into you our better, conversation. Uh, not say that again. Oh my and, gosh! And two out of the three pictures, if you want to Google the cover, look presidential. I'll leave the <laughs> third one up to you. Looks All right, it's time, for, it's time for game of the week. All right, here we go. Game of the week. This week we're playing ABC. We have three categories, a star category, a director category, and a style of film category. You have to pick one from each category to make the perfect film. Our stars are male leads of the 1970s, Robert Redford, Dustin Hoffman, or Mr. Clint Eastwood. A little political bent there uh, to give some of our right-leaning friends a uh, hand those? Uh, uh, a uh, uh, directors the amazing spike lee uh christopher guest of best in show fame or of course whenever we play this game the ghost of emil ardolino if you're so inclined to pick him and why wouldn't you want to and style of film uh should we make a biopic of william howard taft America's largest president, uh, a film adaptation of different strokes, or should we make an 80s style teen slasher film? Uh, all right, Jim, you go first. What is your perfect combination? Um, my perfect combination is Clint Eastwood directed by Spike Lee in an 80s style teen slasher film <laughs> set I in the 80s. Just like do the right thing. Oh, like a do. Oh, like if a slasher showed up on Mookie's block. Yeah. I, like I want that. all those colors. I want 
that New York. You want that I want 80s? The, I want like, you want Dinkins, New York. Yeah, like I want late eighties, yeah. New York. I want Spike Lee himself as like a mid twenties year old actor interacting with Clint Eastwood, who is the slasher of this film. Okay, <laughs> perfect. Uh, Katie, what do you want? Well, Jim took my idea, so I'm going to pivot quickly. Okay, and say that I pivot. would. Lo- I'm I pivoting. I would love to see Christopher Guest direct a biopic of William Howard Taft. Okay, and who's going to star in it? Featuring, of course, Dustin Hoffman. (laughs) I I don't think he's playing Taft, but and I don't know any other parts of Taft's story, but we'll we'll figure it out. He could play Teddy Roosevelt. Okay, great. Good Teddy. He's not tall enough. Do we need? Do we need to tell everyone who Emil Ardolino is? Yes, because I'm sure nobody knows. Yeah. If you listen to the show, you know Emilio no Ardolino. One, yeah, nobody listens. No one the, listens. They might be listening to this. The episode. director of such films Chris's as mom is listening. Sister Act, Three Men and a Little Lady, and of course, the amazing American film Chances Are Classics. and Dirty Dancing. Classic and Dirty Dancing. The best of his films. An, act, an actual out. classic. Dirty Dancing is really. I, I will. Dirty Dirty Dancing is a very film. good movie. It's an amazing film. Uh, all right, I'll go. I would, of course, pick Emil Ardolino. Of course. To direct my film. Uh, I would do in a film adaptation of Different Strokes and cast Clint Eastwood in the Mr. Drummond role. Oh, very good. <laughs> very good. Yep. Well done. We haven't left Can Chris we have much Michael B. Jordan as well, what was the older more, brother's name? You need more choices uh, here. What was the older brother's name in Different Strokes? I don't remember. Willis. 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 I haven't watched that since I was talking about seven Willis? years old. Literally, it's no, the quote know. You're of right. the I should of know the show. from the quote. The only quote <laughs> show. Uh, Chris, what would you take? Well, I'm going to, you know, morph off of yours a little bit. Now, look, I have to self-admit it because I'm not a big film expert here. I'll just take Spike Lee as my director because I don't know the other, the other guys. So, it's, it's a good, That's strong fair. choice. That's the, right. Yeah, it's a strong. It's the, yeah. a, the only actual director. Yep. Probably, and, I, and I'm going to go. Film adaptation of a prequel of Different Strokes. Oh, nice. I know where you're going. With Robert Redford playing a young Mr. Drummond before Ooh. he made it big. Yes. Before he moved into the penthouse. Are we doing, we're it. doing Time Machine? We're taking like uh, President's Men, Robert Redford? That would be like 1960. No, I'm going Robert Redford. We don't really know how old Conrad Bain was. <laughs> no, nobody knows how old Conrad Bain was. I and we could go then, you, and you got a lot of sequels built in. You could spin it right off into the Facts yeah. of Life universe mm-hmm. off of that. I might stuff. create an 80 sitcom cinematic universe. Yes, Facts oh, of man. Life <laughs> two two seven. I mean, we could get all of them. Uh, all right, that's game of the week. All right, time for five questions. You want answers? You want answers? I want the truth. What makes a man, Mr. Lebowski? What the fuck is the internet? Watch. Why? All right, time for five questions. Chris will be answering this week. Chris is so multifaceted that we've hit all his different aspects of his life here uh, in the future questions. All right, let's start with question one. Thumbs up, thumbs down. Uh, Are you a read the morning paper type of person? Have you ever been? Are you still? Um, At my heart, I'm a thumbs up on the morning paper. There's nothing better. And being down the shore in the summer 
and sitting out like on the balcony with a cup of coffee and the Philadelphia Inquirer. It's just part of Philadelphia summers. As much as I, yes, I love it. If it's the papers available, I'm reading it, but I don't have a newspaper in my hand every morning. Not nearly as much as I wish I did. If, if the paper was delivered to my doorstep, I'd read it. Somebody get this man a subscription. Yeah, we got to get it. Christmas present for Mr. Monero. I think you get them for free now, basically, don't they? They're just like handing them out. Um, All right, question two. Here we go. There's few people who love a late 80s, early 90s sitcom as much as me. The person who probably goes beyond my love, and in fact, we're the only people when people from those sitcoms die text each other immediately making sure that we so we can mourn mourn. together so we can mourn together chris what do you think's a better late 1980s early 1990s sitcom spinoff these are spinoffs because that's all they did back then is spinoff even if it was like only one season of a sitcom you would get a spinoff of it uh would you rather watch empty nest of course the spinoff of the golden girls or would you rather watch Family Matters, the spinoff of Perfect Strangers? I mean, there are there are more obvious spinoffs that you didn't choose. So I so I like this. This is what Brian does. This right. is what I, like I do. I go to the most obscure one I can think of. Was Harriet Winslow like the elevator yep. operator? The elevator yes, operator in right. for the Chicago Tribune. Right. Um, so I'm definitely going with Larry worked. Yes. Yes. I'm definitely going with empty nest and probably for the only, for the reason that there were many Dreyfus appearances on the golden Mm. girls Mm. when Dreyfus would come running in the door, but there was an episode one time where those shows came together and you know, it's, it's foggy to me a little bit, but I believe it was like a hurricane episode. Oh, I think it was, I think you're right. And they were back-to-back episodes. It was like probably Saturday night, Golden Girls and Emptiness back-to-back. And Pretty they good basically Saturday night. both... Yeah. <laughs> I was little. Lansdale. That was, that Nothing was much was happening in Lansdale. Only, no Nintendo. In 1991. <laughs> I, I think there were only five networks at that mm-hmm. point, I think. <laughs> but they actually both had an episode, I think, on the same night centered around the same storyline of this of this hurricane hitting Miami. I never uh, watched love either that. of these I shows. I love that shit. I had Prism. Um, Empty Nest uh, with Leslie have, Nielsen? Is that who it was? No. Who was it? Leslie Nielsen. Who is it? Come Give on. Me a I don't know I his name. I don't know his... He no, looks like Leslie Nielsen. No, I know who it is. He looks like Leslie Nielsen. It was the one Nielsen. with Joe Azuzu. You remember the Joe guy Azuzu? Who was in all those... Uh, oh, Jesus Christ. talking about? by the way... He's not a real person. last week. Did what? You, really? Did you watch the Goldbergs no. last week? No. I didn't know it was still yes. on. I thought it had ended. He had a very prominent role in the he Goldbergs. He looks like Leslie Nielsen. He, he does. That's, I'm that's not saying not him. Richard oh, Mulligan. is it Richard Mulligan? Yes. Yeah, Richard Mulligan. He Harry Weston. R.I.P. He, he died as well. Raise a glass. Richard Mulligan. He's, he's no longer with us. I really uh, like the one, the one daughter, the um, the brunette. Sure what was Chris, Christy McNeil? She was like a big 70s star. I think that was McNichol, Christy McNichol, Christy McNichol. Very like, good. That's oh, wow. it. I forgot I think dated Scott Bayo. I think might have even been married to Scott Bayo wow. at one point. Jim, between between her and Blanche Devereaux, that's why I wasn't going out on Saturday. <laughs> yeah, you got it. <laughs> I, I get you. 
I I personally only at that time period, I only picked my shows based on who was on Hollywood squares that week. Mm. So as long as the people were in the squares, that was the show I would watch. Uh, I'm sorry. I don't don't want to belabor this point. Isn't it, isn't it scary now that like our parents are older than the golden girls were in like the golden girls episodes. Like they Mm -hmm. seem so old, but like they were probably in their late, 50s, 6th, early 60s. Yeah, well, that's a great point, actually. Well, and we old... have improved the uh, life expectancy, so, yes. you know, percentage-wise, they're probably the same age. Yeah. Oh, Jim, always bringing real yeah. factual evidence. Yeah. That's what we love. All right, question three. Uh, Chris, amazing baseball coach who is continuing to build a fantastic program and has one of the finest facilities on the East coast for high school baseball. Dude, at just Plymouth ask the fucking question. Uh, <laughs> no, talk, talk more. <laughs> you can see Jim usually books the guests for the show. Uh, what is the best baseball game you've ever attended live? Right, I'm going to give you two. One's ridiculously stupid, but then one's like really good. Um, well, I'll give you three. Can I give you three? I, I, I get five answers whenever I'm on. <laughs> I was at a doubleheader between like the Phillies and I, I don't know who were the, the Marlins maybe years ago. I was a little kid. They were both terrible. They were like, you know, the two last place teams, but it was like a doubleheader and both games went 11 or 12 innings. Um, you know, all sorts of obscure, like probably late 90s, early 2000s Phillies. Uh, that was probably like the Mark Parent. I think Mark Parent was catching. And, I mean, they were bad, right? But they were these great games. So that was a horrible era of baseball in a meaningless game. I was at – this is number two. I was at the Yankees-Red Sox game when Derek Jeter dove headfirst into the uh, into the stands down the third baseline, one of the most famous really? – What? Yeah. Yep. I was at that game. I was in the right field. Uh, the wow. Down the right field. That's impressive. Um, but probably the, the great, you know, which just goes without saying that the greatest game um, that I've been to was I was at Roy Halladay's no hitter in the, uh, uh, in the NLDS. Awesome. Um, so that was a, uh, you know, that was a pretty cool experience. Awesome. All right. Question four. Chris is a huge Springsteen fan. What's your favorite Springsteen album? Oh. I'm nervous. I'm nervous to answer this in oh. front of Jim. So look, there's a lot of ways to go with this, right? And anybody who has a favorite musician who has a huge catalog of, of music knows that it's hard to answer. So the best way for me to answer this is what is my favorite Springsteen album right now? Because that yeah. it could change. Um, look, my favorite Springsteen song is no surrender. And you know, that comes off of born in the USA. My Technically an album, it's not really an album, but sort of is, that really got me back into being a Springsteen fan was the four box, uh, the four disc box set tracks that came out in like the late nineties, because it just opened my eyes to all this Bruce Springsteen that I'd never heard of. But on this day, right now, (laughs) my favorite Springsteen album is Letter to You. Mm -hmm. It just came out last Friday. And Jim, uh, Jim, you and I have talked a little Springsteen over the years, and I know that you're much more of a fan of the old Springsteen. And, uh, you know. Yeah, you know what's funny? It it would be considered old at this point, but if I was going to rank the albums as far as, like, if I was going to put on an album and listen to every song, which one would I enjoy the most? 
it would probably be something like it would either come down to um born to run or darkness on the edge of town yeah uh, but absolutely. i put the rising like right up there yep um and because i don't think there's i i think there are certain songs on the rise on um those other two albums that i'm kind of like okay i'm not into um mm-hmm. i can listen to the rising front to back um yeah i i haven't gotten too much into letter to you i've listened to a few songs i just wish at this point he would like get a young producer someone like that has some like s- something interesting going on because this album specifically like it's starting to like glaze out like it's just gonna like f- glide over me like like a warm blanket there's nothing in it that like wakes me up yet so i think i think it's designed like and god i hope we get to see this but there's songs in this album that'll be incredible live yeah and the way the whole album was recorded you know in like four days and just all natural but there's two songs and i I highly recommend them uh song for orphans is one uh if i was a priest was the other they're both songs he wrote like 50 years ago so they have the old Springsteen like lyrics and the, the real storytelling mm-hmm. behind them, but they have the whole band playing in it in a more of like a modern way. And I, man, this song, song for orphans, like I gotta tell you, I can't stop listening to it. Like first it was ghosts, you know, ghosts came out like a couple of weeks ago and I just, it just draws me in. But now I'm listening to this song for orphans. Like I, I just, I'll listen to it again as soon as this is over, you know, yeah. it's just, it's the lyrics are just, it's just awesome. They're so unique and so creative. So I'm really into it. Like I'm really into it right now. I'm excited that, that uh, there's something new that there's a guy that I teach with that he actually had a good uh, analysis. And he said that, you know, parts of this album are almost like Springsteen covering himself because he is basically, you know, recording with the band songs that were never really put on an album. And, mm-hmm. and it is, it's kind of cool to watch, to listen to like on YouTube to find this old version of him playing one of these songs and then now finally hear the recorded version. So yep. I like it. Love it. All right. And finally, deep thoughts question. Which president would you add to Mount Rushmore? Barack Obama. All right. Trump. There we go. Barack Obama. Trump. I'm not sure <laughs> there's, there's no mountains in Florida. Natural. Oh, my God. Have you seen the picture of him standing I, in front of it? <laughs> I, I had a. They have to. They have, you know where they could if they did Trump. They have to do it in Red Rocks to match the color this of the skin. Oh. This is true. No, um, and then they'd have to like white out around his eyes. <laughs> Some lines uh, in there. That is five questions, Chris. We loved having you on. Now the the com majors rule always is we'll have you back, of course, but you get to pick the film next time. Okay. I'd love to do that. So oh, wait, to... I did have a. I did have a question. I wanted oh to yes, ask that's that. right. Yeah. Okay, what yeah. did you want to ask? So. I thought one of the most unique things about about this movie was that while it's all about Nixon, there is no Nixon in the movie. Yes. There's people that portray everybody. Yes. But there's no Nixon. So is there somebody that has that has not portrayed a president in a film? that you would love to see play the role of president of the United States? I have. Oh, actually, I don't know if he's played a president before. All right. Well, say who it is. Uh, uh, no, no. I'm sorry. Sorry. So in my in my head, you were asking who would play Nixon, which is no, different. I think in, in the role of this, president. In so any- who would you like to see play a president in the movie? Katie? So I was thinking of um, Martin Sheen, 
But obviously, he's yeah, already he's been a, a president. He's been a president. Well, but to I'm me, West he's Wing. the that next president. That wasn't a movie, yeah, That's okay. Come that's cheating. Yeah. 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 No, I, I hear you. I, 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 I have call my, myself on it. Mine is e- easy. Idris. Oh, right away. God, he he's that. English. He's yeah. Well, Prime he's got, Stringer Bell had an, a really great I'm Baltimore. You could, you guess, you could English Bell. accent. I would love uh, to have seen. I actually just want him to be our president, like not well, play him in a movie. Yes, unfortunately, <laughs> law precludes that. Um, I'm sure he's a citizen. <laughs> well, that's that such a good one. I mean, Kiefer Sutherland already played it on, uh, you know, Survivor, yeah. so we can't do that. Uh, I think that, you know, who would be a really interesting actor playing a president? Because I think you could be serious or you could be a comedy is Robert Downey Jr. Oh, all right. Because I'm I coming think back you around. Go in different going ways. outside the box on yeah. that one. I, yeah. I, same for me because my my first interpretation of your question was trying to think of like who would play Nixon. If Which I could would just be pick interesting, any though. actor or actress yeah. to play a U.S. president, it's going to be Meryl Streep because she is the queen. Wow. Of my that would be a great show. Did she ever play one? Nope. I would always think Morgan Freeman, but he had played one. Yeah, he was in uh, Deep Impact. Deep Impact. Yeah, he was good. That so. All right, look, that came out close to Armageddon. The same Weird. time, in he, had, he didn't have a huge role in that movie, but I think that might be my favorite portrayal of a president. Of a president, he was really good. There's that <laughs> speech, even though it's at, minor, even though it's very minor. Uh, it, he gives a great speech in that movie. Uh, well, we're uh, releasing this on election day. If you, for some reason, have not voted early, oh my god, please uh, go vote. Or you're you're not in the process of voting. Please make sure that you vote. Um, because people talk about un-American things. There's nothing more un-American than having a right to vote in a world where the majority of people do not have the right to vote and not voting. Uh, So please make sure you do that. And then after you vote, we'll have a special surprise episode for you next time. Mm -hmm. We're keeping it secret. Keeping it secret. We're keeping secret. Unfortunately, Pat Morgan will be here, so don't get too excited about it. Everything else. Is our next episode like post election? Yeah. Post election. Oh my god, I just got a pit in my stomach. Katie might not be here. She she might be in Canada. Chris, is there anything you can say to make Katie feel better? I've tried. It's not gonna work. Katie, some polls came out today that are staggering. Um, you know like, how you know what I say about polls. Yeah, but but when a poll has Joe Biden up by like seventeen points in Wisconsin, yeah, I, don't I mean that's care. a lot. What I will say to you is this: it doesn't matter what the polls say. Just make that sure that you have seventeen cases of One Hope wine in the cellar, exactly and no matter right. what happens, you'll I be have okay. Started planning <laughs> out the bunker in the basement, and I've. Started buying gallons. Of I'm water. very far north. I am. I know. Right. We, we should just border. all just move to Canada. We, well, we're not allowed the to go there. Is but... We have no guns. We have no. Well, weapons, you can't really. So you can't travel. You can't travel anywhere anymore. anymore. The one time you'd want to leave. What's, the what's country, this all about? I have a beard. I. What's this all about? I have a beard and I love pancakes. This is the ultimate irony of the situation. I am Canadian. I am already watching Shit's Creek every night. We can't leave if we don't like him. We can't actually leave. Yeah. This is like actual hell. All right. All right. Bye, Bye, everybody. everybody. We'll see you next time. Thanks, Chris. Yeah, thanks, man. Wonderful. Are we off the air?